Hey everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is episode 21 of the podcast. Today um, it will be titled El Roi. This is a part of the, the To Know Him series that we started last week. I hope that you enjoy this. This won't be all that I do this year. It'll be for sure what I do this month, and then I'll I'll squeeze in some interviews, and maybe if I feel something different, I'll do something different. But anyway, today we'll talk about the story of Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian. She was Sarah's servant. You know, Hagar, being an Egyptian, had never known our God, but life brought her to a place called the wilderness, which that looks different for every one of us, right? For her, it was the literal wilderness in the desert. She was running. She wasn't sure where she would end up or really who even cared, but God came to her there. She didn't call on him. She didn't even know to call on him, but God saw her need. He came to her. He actually visited her more than once in the wilderness. She has two wilderness instances where God just showed up But this first time, he revealed himself to her. He gave her a promise for the baby that she was carrying. And in turn, she calls him by a new name. Up until this point, he was only Elohim, like we talked about last week. But to Hagar, he was personal. El Roi, the God who sees, the God who sees me. And what's really neat to me is this is the only instance of that name being used in the Bible. Rare in occurrence, but life-changing for Hagar. And a beautiful example to us that God sees us too. One other thing that I want to share before we get started. So um, what's so cool is that it actually doesn't happen often. As we go through these names, you'll see, it doesn't happen often that a person gets to give God a name. You know, a lot of times he tells them like even next week he'll say um he'll he'll tell Abram Abraham the name that we'll share and then he even um tells them kind of what it means basically but in this instance this week Hagar was so taken back that this God our God would even come and visit her would even speak to her and even more would give her a promise that she couldn't help but name him what she did so we will dig into that today um, we are in, I'm recording in New Iberia, Louisiana. It's right outside um, Lafayette, but our the church we were at tonight and, and last night was in Generette, Louisiana. Tomorrow we will go back to Deritter. We're doing a little revival there. So it's like two weeks there. And then back to Odessa. <laughs> so that's what we're doing. Uh, I'll talk to you next week about personal things, I guess. But for now, let's get into the study. I should also tell you, before we really get into it, that I am recording at midnight, and um, I uh, it's been a long several days in a row for us. We've had a lot of traveling, and we've been at like three different places in just since the new year. And um and, and there's been a good bit of services and all that stuff, so I'm a little tired, but uh, so my voice is like 
Yucky, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just bear with me. Um, there's a lot to say today, and I am excited. I I hope that you're enjoying this more in-depth study of God, you know, who He is and who He was to other people. So today, Hagar, we know her name. We know her son's name, Ishmael, but we might not know her full story. And if we, even if we do know the story, we might still limit her to just words on a page. It's so easy to do, forgetting that she was an actual person with actual feelings, a slave who didn't choose her story. She found herself in a place feeling forgotten and honestly hopeless. That's exactly where God met her in her brokenness, in her questions, in her wandering. But how did she get there? I'll mention it in a moment, but the Bible mentions that Sarah gave Hagar, her maidservant, or really to say it plainly, her slave, to her husband Abraham after they'd been in Canaan for 10 years. Before that, Abraham and Sarah had been in Egypt right before coming to Canaan. So it's assumed that probably they acquired Hagar during their time in Egypt. And acquired sounds horrible when speaking about a person. I know, I'm sorry, but it's just how it was. And in that time, there were several ways to um, to get slaves or servants, whatever you want to call them. But obviously today, we don't practice this, right? Um, at least not in America. But in that time, it was so common. And you know, there's actually a set of laws in the book of Exodus all regarding the treatment of slaves during this time period and among God's people. So specifically, Hagar, though, is our focus today. You know, if you look at her position, right? Sarah's personal maidservant. I'm sure they had all kinds of people doing all kinds of jobs, but Hagar was close to Sarah. She was probably very trusted by Sarah and Abraham. Her duties were specifically to Sarah. And after 10 years together, at least 10 years, right? Um, Day in, day out, I'm sure that Hagar knew a lot about Sarah. I'm sure that she knew her personal uh, details of her life and even some daily struggles. Women just talk. And I I really can see that there might have been a, a confidence built there. Not quite a friendship, but still a relationship. Ten years of knowing someone. We talked in a previous episode about Sarah and her infertility. I'll try not to say some of the same things over, so I really am focusing on Hagar. So that episode we talked about Sarah, and we didn't even touch this um, Hagar in the wilderness with God moment because I knew this was coming, and I didn't want to mess it up. So so here we are, Sarah, dealing with infertility. She had a desperate desire for a baby, and this baby would be the promised heir that God had spoke to Abraham over and over about for years. Years he had waited for this promise to be fulfilled. And so Sarah began to feel that it wouldn't happen, and she might have even felt like she was the one at fault for the promise not coming to pass. And so we'll start there. Genesis chapter 16, verse 2, and here it is. And Sarah told Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. 
I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may, may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. He listened. He agreed. At a moment where he could have said, no, God promised us this, and I think he's going to do it, you know. But he listened. I guess happy wife, happy life. (laughs) You know what? I don't think Taylor has uh, gotten that part yet because we have been married for five years, and he has no problem arguing with me (laughs) or telling me when I'm wrong. But Abram or Abraham, in this moment, he said, you know what? It's not worth the fight of arguing with my wife. I'm just going to listen. I'll agree, whatever. So so he did. Maybe that was distrust on his part too, you know? So verse three, and Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, Her mistress was despised in her eyes. That's where that verse, that verse three is where I told you how they had been in Canaan at least 10 years and and they probably got uh, Hagar while they were in Egypt beforehand. So that's where I get that, that they knew her and she had been in their, you know, household for at least 10 years. But here we are, right? Uh, Four verses in to chapter 16 and The plan has worked. Years of waiting for a promise and doing it her way, it looks like it's right. It's worked. Sarah's maid, Hagar, did conceive by Abraham. And it was Abraham's lineage that had that promise on it. So where did did Hagar go wrong? Here's her mistake. It's not her fault that Sarah and Abraham lacked trust in God, but it was her fault how she handled it. And it really stinks, but there are usually consequences to our mistakes. Whether big or small, there's always consequences. And instead of choosing meekness over God blessing her, she got ugly about it. She got haughty. The Amplified Version says it like this. This is verse 4. He went in to the bed of Hagar and she conceived. And when she realized that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, regarding Sarah as insignificant because of her infertility. I looked up that word contempt. Maybe you know it, but sometimes I feel like I scan past words and I really don't fully grasp the concept. I just kind of go with context, context clues and say whatever. But I wanted to look it up. And so contempt is this. The feeling with which a person regards anything considered mean, vile, or worthless. I think worthless is probably the attitude that Hagar gave to Sarah. Ouch. That's Hagar's big mess up. And the truth is, this baby was never really meant to be Hagar's. She kind of got it wrong. I can understand how emotions and all of that could get twisted and how complicated things were in that day. I honestly can't even understand it. But the plan in this was that Hagar would act as a surrogate. Since Hagar was a slave, this baby wouldn't really be hers, but her master's. 
And who was that, right? Sarah and, and Abraham. Again, I know it was so weird, but it was just how it worked. And later, this same thing happened with Leah and Rachel and their maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. All this was done in that time to just further the, the family name, right? To further the descendants of that man. And so it was never about Hagar. It was never about Abraham's desire for Hagar or anything like that. But it was simply to give Abraham the child that God had promised him. Just wasn't done God's way. So verse 5 says this, And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. So when it went wrong, when it went wrong Sarah blames Abraham. But it was her idea. So whatever, Sarah. But Abram answers her. And I guess, again, happy wife, happy life. He says, okay, you're the boss, kind of. Um, verse 6, but Abram said unto Sarah, behold, thy maid is in thine hand. Do to her as it pleaseth you. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. So Abraham just shook off all responsibility of all of this, even though that was his son that Hagar was carrying and it was their plan. I don't know. I don't get it. But, you know, it says that Sarah dealt hardly with her. Who knows what dealt hardly with her entailed? But we do know that it was bad enough that Hagar ran away. Just consider how Hagar must have felt in that moment. I'm not saying that she was without uh, being wrong, but just consider alone, forgotten, mistreated, misunderstood. Yeah, she acted wrong in response to being pregnant, but I just consider the fact that she was a slave. What did she have that was her own? What did she have that she could be proud of? She had traveled such a long way, uh, far away from everything that she knew in Egypt, and now there must have been a sense of pride that she accomplished something, I guess. Maybe I am too empathetic. I probably am. I always um, I always root for uh, the underdog. That is me in a nutshell, I guess. Or if someone does wrong, I'm always like, well, but maybe, and I try to see, try to see their side of it, I guess, but, but she did do wrong, um, but it was just a mistake, and I'm sure it was one that she quickly regretted. On that journey in the wilderness, I'm sure that she rethought every eye roll, every wrong word spoken, every underlying attitude that she directed towards her mistress. She was out of line, but here she was unwanted, alone, so hopeless, no money, no home, no husband, and to make it worse, a baby on the way. So yeah, add in hormones in there too. If you've ever been pregnant, you know the seriousness of pregnancy hormones, so we can't discount that either. Goodness, I feel really bad for Hagar now. Um, <laughs> all of these just super intense feelings 
But then God meets her in that intense valley of emotions. In her wilderness, God showed up. And I want to read you her encounter, but I'm going to use the ESV just for comprehension. Sometimes I switch, which you know this by now. I switch all through. So the three the three that I typically go through is KJV, ESV, Amplified. I go back and forth between the three just to comprehend and um, make sure that I'm getting it, you know? It just helps me put it in plain language. So verse 7, this is here her encounter. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from? And where are you going? So my belief, which I'll explain a little bit later, is that this mention of the angel of the Lord is actually God wrapped in flesh. There's like three different beliefs about this, and I'll I'll get into it in a minute. But I really do believe that, that before he was actually seen by all on earth as Jesus, that he would show up in this way. And and I'll get back to that. But one thing that I love about their interaction is that he calls her by name. He knows her by name before anything else. I'm sure everyone else saw her as Sarah's maid or Sarah's servant and nothing else. Have you ever been seen like that? Um, As someone in relation to someone else, but not by your name, maybe, or even someone who does something, you know, but not by who you are exactly. Does that make sense? I'll explain, and this is a really funny explanation, but when I was dating Taylor, we were dating, we were a couple years dating, uh, there was this girl, and um, at the time, she was probably like 14, you know, and we were like 19, 20, maybe even 21, 22, and there was this girl, I was at HYC, Texas HYC, and this girl turns, and I'm walking down like a middle aisle, and she says, oh my goodness, that's Winston Taylor's girlfriend, and I heard her, and I was like, what, and I like turned, he'll be so embarrassed that I share this story, so I turned, and I just kind of looked at her and smiled, and she said, are you Winston Taylor's girlfriend? And I'm thinking, like, okay, girl, I have a name, but whatever. So I do make fun of him for that because during that time, he, he sang at a lot of, like, youth camps and youth events. And so the 14-year-old girls really liked 20-year-old Taylor, which was funny. But anyway, so, like, have you ever been like that? Like, I can't tell you how many times I'm Brother Fish's wife, you know, or or whatever. And I don't mind that. I love... Um, obviously love Taylor, duh, right? Anyways, I don't have to explain, but have you ever felt like that? Or growing up, I was Rachel's little sister. My sister is wonderful and beautiful and talented and could play any sport in the world. And I couldn't even catch a ball, you know? (laughs) So, so yeah, so those different things, like, have you ever been like that where you weren't, what was remembered, but it was someone else that was remembered before you. So for Hagar, she was Sarah's maidservant. But in this moment, and this is probably what made such a difference to her, when God spoke, he said, or when the angel of the Lord, if you want me to refer it to like that, when the angel of the Lord spoke, he said, Hagar, 
And then he said that the, the term that would usually describe her, Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. He said that and he knew her name. And he knows you and me by name. He saw her and he sees us even when we may feel misunderstood or forgotten or second, you know? So then he asked Hagar that, hey, that question, where did you come from and where are you headed? So she answered the first question. She was fleeing from Sarah, her mistress, but she had no clue how to answer that second question. She had no clue where she was headed. She had no plan and really no possibilities. But what I love is that that's where God met her. There's no doubt that there's someone listening, more than one someone listening, that can relate. You know where you've been. You know your past. You might even, even you might have even had great past victories. But what you don't know is the answer to that question. What's next? Can I remind you? Can I tell you? It's okay. It's okay to not know. It's okay to be wandering like she was. It's okay to be searching for what you are to do next. But here's your hope. This is why it's okay. God came to Hagar in her time of not knowing what's next. She didn't even know him. They didn't have an established relationship, but he came to her there. How much more will God come visit you when you don't know what's next? And when he comes, he comes with direction. For Hagar, that direction was to go back. That's not usually our answer, though, thankfully. More importantly, when God met with her, he gave her a promise. She's the first person in the Bible that the angel of the Lord appeared before. How cool is that? Not only a woman, a slave woman, but an Egyptian woman, not one of God's people, right? God's chosen people. Later um, in her experience, she would be followed by uh, Moses at the burning bush, uh, talking to the angel of the Lord, right? Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaac. Gideon at the wine press. Elijah and King David. Here's verse 10. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. You know, this part of the promise comes into play later. I told you that um, Hagar had two wilderness moments. Super cool. Well, later, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away from Sarah and Abraham again. This time, Isaac, the promised child, had just been weaned. Anyways, so... When, when she was in the wilderness with her son, Hagar knew that her son was going to die. But God sustained the boy and in turn kept his initial promise that her offspring would be multiplied. Almost this promise that she got to hold on to. And in turn, she found out that our God never breaks a promise. Verse 11, And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So God told her something she knew and then followed it with things she didn't know. One, she knew she was pregnant, right? That's what got her into this situation in the first place. But two, she did not know the gender of the baby, but she's told it's a boy. And then God tells her what to name him. 
Names were so important in the Bible. Names had meaning and they were so thought out. Ishmael means God will hear. Ishmael is a part of the very few in the Bible that God named before birth. Isaac also was pre-named. Solomon was given a name before birth. What I think is cool is Solomon is another child born to an afflicted mother, Bathsheba. A few others were named before birth too, and even including John the Baptist and Jesus. You know, Ishmael didn't even follow God, but God saw him. And before his birth, God had a plan for him too. The plan stemmed from Abraham's promise of his descendants being multiplied. And I just think it's crazy because it really proves to us the great links that God goes to to keep a promise. I can't tell you how many times I have read it. Uh, I did a, I told you before, a, a study of the kings. And there are so many times after King David died that the Bible says that something happened for David's sake, that God kept one of his heirs on the throne. And it said, for David's sake. Because God made him a promise. And God is just, he's faithful and he's a promise keeper. If you hear nothing else today, I hope you hear that. God is faithful and he's a promise keeper. You don't have to wonder if he's going to stay true to his word. So then here we are. Verse 12, it says this. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So I read that, you read that, or hear that, and you think, okay, what a promise. Like, I don't want that promise. <laughs> it's really not a great promise, but to Hagar, she didn't care. She was thankful that God saw her and her unborn baby and didn't see them as slaves as Sarah and Abraham, but as individuals with individual promises. Uh, Verse 13, I'll go back to KJV, and it says this, And she called the name of the Lord that spoke unto her, Thou God seest me, which in Hebrew it reads, um, Okay, I've been saying El-Roi, but when I listened on the uh, blueletterbible.org, it has like a little... um, a deal where it'll read you the words and even in the Hebrew. And it actually says it like Roe, which so I probably am saying it wrong, but my Southern accent, I'll stick with Roe. And um, you can know that I'm saying it probably wrong. It's probably supposed to be uh, El Roe, but that's what it reads. Thou, thou God seest me, El Roe. The scripture continues, for she said, have I also looked after him that seeth me? So here's where I'll tell you why I believe when I read this and when I read the other instances of the angel of the Lord in scripture, I believe that this instance, she was seeing God wrapped in flesh. Early in the promise, the very beginning, he said, I will multiply your offspring. Who has power to give life but God? And then there in verse 13, it says, And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God sees me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Uh, ESV translates the verse like this. This is verse 13, ESV. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. 
And so that's where I where I see that because the words are it's as if God is speaking. And I also read that um, some some believe that as I thought, man, I'm not the only one. There's no way I'm the only one that thinks this is actually Godful. Anyways, so um, I read later that that some believe that the angel of the Lord is like was a specific angel that would speak on behalf of God. So it's really one or two, but I, I just believe I asked Taylor and he was like, man, it's so tricky. And, but so I gave you the two, the two things, two, I guess, views of it. You can take what you want to take out of it or ask someone that, you know, that has a great outlook on scripture and, and maybe see if you're wondering or really interested in that. But I want to go ahead and start finishing. Um, You know, at the end of this chapter, Hagar names that well, that spring of water that she came to, the one that God met her at. She names it well of the living one who sees me, the living one. We know that, right? But how can we today visit that well, that flowing spring in the wilderness? We can call on him. We can know that regardless of how we feel, he sees us. There are so many simple truths in the word that back this up. He sees every sparrow that falls and your worth and my worth to him far exceeds the sparrow. Luke 12 and 7. Every hair on your head is numbered. Matthew 10 and 30. We talked about it last week. God created the heavens and earth, but he also created you with plan and purpose. He doesn't create just to throw away. You know, a big part of Hagar seeing God in this way, the God who sees me, was that she was willing to listen, willing to follow his plan. She did go where he told her to go. I'm sure it's the last place she wanted to go back to Sarah and Abraham, but she went because he said it. So we pray today, God help us to see you like Hagar did, as the God who sees, the God who sees our past, our present, and even more important, our future. God, in knowing that you see our future, we can know that you know what's best for us. Help us, God, to trust that you really do see us, that no matter how we feel in this very moment, that you see us and you are with us, and you are for us. God, I pray that those that may be listening today that feel misunderstood or even feel alone, that maybe even feel forgotten due to life circumstances, that you would go to them, that you would meet with them today, even now, one-on-one, and get personal with them like you did Hagar. Jesus, we love you, we honor you, and we thank you that you not only see us, but you hear us. You hear every single cry, every single prayer. Help us to see you today in this personal way. Pray, God, you bless the listener today. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, we will dive into another name. I hope you would go, and I haven't asked in a while, but if you would go and if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give the podcast a review Uh, It's supposed to help. I don't know a lot, but it's supposed to help it being seen by others. And so if you are blessed by the podcast, go leave a review that it could bless someone else. So that's all for today. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time.